Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. International News Review. Our International News Review today, Steve Oaken, the senior advisor at McClarty Associates, uh, joining us. Uh, Steve, good morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you, GBZ. Good to be back with you. Great to have you. Let's lead off with a, a with a national story, not an international story, and that is this spike in dengue cases. A record high of 895 people diagnosed in just five and a half days. Um, you have a personal experience with this as well as uh, following the story in Singapore, don't you? Well, yeah, I wasn't one of those, but I was one the week before when mm-hmm. I had uh, uh, dengue and, you know, I've lived here for more than 17 years and the first time I had it. And, you know, it might very well be that we're getting this spike because of COVID and that more people are staying home. And as you stay home and you go for walks in your neighborhood and you're not in your offices, you're more exposed to the mosquitoes. So it could be a side effect that we have such a terrible outbreak of dengue in Singapore this year. Yeah. In this uh, peak dengue season already, we've had 10,700 people infected. So big, uh, a big problem, of course, the NEA is out uh, making sure that people are you know, getting rid of standing water and all that. But uh, glad to hear that you're on the mend um, because we have so much to talk about. As usual, it's been a crazy week around the world. Uh, we might as well kick off, I guess, with, uh, with what's going on in the U.S. There is a big rally that uh, President Trump was going to have on the 19th in Tulsa, his first big rally. But that also happens to be the holiday known as Juneteenth, which is marking of the end of slavery uh, for African-Americans. So he has wisely decided after consultations to change the date of that. Yeah, no. And, you know, this is it's showing where America is going, because look, when you and I were growing up in the U.S., Juneteenth did not exist yeah. uh, as a holiday. Um, and Juneteenth is, a, is a, a, you know, a shortening of June 19th, which is when the former slaves learned in the state of Texas after the Civil War that they had been freed. You know, news didn't travel quite nearly as fast then. And starting in 1980, it started to become a holiday in various states. It's now a holiday in 47 states. I would not be surprised if it becomes a national holiday. But for Donald Trump to schedule a rally on that date in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is one of the the sites of the worst racial violence in the United States, showed that he just doesn't care um, or doesn't have anybody on his team that has any connection to the African-American community because this should have never been scheduled to begin with. Yeah. And they said in a press statement, I saw that he had some of his African-American friends reach out to him and express their concern about that. So he's decided to change the date, which, uh, you know, I mean, good for him, right? But uh, it, it is kind of interesting that they would not have checked that date and the implications of it before announcing it in the first place. <laughs> no, no, it's exactly right. And while he was really forced into changing the date, he moved it back one day. He, he, he fought changing that date. And again, mm. it shows at best that there is no understanding of the African-American community on his campaign and from him. And I think this is a sign that you are going to accelerate even greater um, the recognition that the United States needs to change and that uh, when it comes to, to race and that this is going to be a small, tiny inkling that this is where we're headed. Yeah. A notable holiday uh, two days ago occurred, which was the anniversary of the Trump-Kim summit that happened here in Singapore last year. A lot of fanfare, a lot of pomp and circumstance and ceremony 
and the hope that there would be a new dawn in the relations between the U.S. and North Korea, including denuclearization of North Korea. That has not come to pass and North Korea has continued with its ballistic missile testing and now is cutting ties with South Korea. This is not a good place to be, is it? Well, you know, it it shows that diplomacy is is not personal you you know when president trump came to say i can solve everything just by my personal relationship and to to have one with kim it doesn't work and we're worse off today than we were two years ago when we did have all that pomp and circumstance here in singapore and it certainly looks like that kim is trying to take advantage of all of the chaos in the United States from COVID, all the economic crisis was happening with all of the deaths. And then on top of that, every everything that's changing in terms of, of race and all the focus on that. And so Kim is in a much stronger position today than he was two years ago. So you can only say that Trump's what he was bragging about as his foreign policy success is, a, is an abject failure right now. One of the comments that was made at the time of the summit was that they had a they had a communique that they I think both uh, presented or signed, but there were no hard targets, no uh, demonstrable measurements for what success would look like or a timeline or any kind of uh, punishment if those timelines weren't met. This has really come to play out, hasn't it? I mean, there was a lot of talk, but there was no uh, there was no substance behind it, or at least none that has been verifiable. And look, that is consistent with with Trump's foreign policy in, in many places. Same exact thing that we talked about in Hong Kong, where it's all rhetoric, but the president um, hasn't taken any action as a result of the, uh, you know, the Chinese implementing a national security law or soon to implement a national security law in Hong Kong. So it's, it's always heavy on rhetoric and very little bit on substance. And people three and a half years into the Trump administration are taking advantage of that, especially given the situation we just talked about. So it it really is troubling throughout Asia for countries here as to what the U.S. is doing and not doing and disengaging and and leaving free reign for others to act. Mm. Let's let's turn to U.S. politics a little more closely. And you've got a column coming up early this coming week in the Straits Times talking about Joe Biden and Trump. What what is that nature of that column going to be? Well, you know, the United States has a history, of course, of a peaceful transition of power from one party to the next. And Joe Biden is very concerned that Donald Trump isn't going to honor that constitutional process. Uh, and and there's reason for him to be nervous because Donald Trump has said basically that any election he loses is going to be rigged. So mm. the question is, what happens if Joe Biden is declared the winner, but Donald Trump doesn't accept it? And the constitutional crisis that can emanate from that is going to be worse than anything we've seen in the protests so far in the United States when it when it comes to the aftermath of, you know, George Floyd's murder. Yeah, we saw that, of course, with the George W. Bush and Al Gore when their Florida uh, debacle happened and it ended up uh, lasting for well, – going on for weeks actually. What does that possibly look like in terms of the constitutionality? I mean of, of course this is all speculation because we haven't gotten to that point yet. But like what would a process look like for that? Because is it something that the Supreme Court has to decide or does it go to Congress or what is it – what are the steps involved, That at least initial steps? 
See, that's that's the issue is it's a very complicated process of which no one really is in charge. And you can look at 2000 and Al Gore. You could look at 1960 and, and Richard Nixon. So you had a Republican in 60, a Democrat in 2000, both accept ultimately that a decision that they thought was wrong. Nixon thought votes were miscounted in Illinois and in Kennedy's favor, and Gore felt that uh, votes were miscounted in Florida and Bush's favor, but both ultimately just accepted the process when when you had the states, in this case Florida and Illinois, uh, declare a winner. But what happens if you have conflicting decisions coming out of the state? What mm. happens in if Trump says he won in Michigan, because all of these mail-in ballots shouldn't have been counted, and the governor of Michigan says Biden won, but the state legislature in Michigan, which is controlled by Republicans, say Trump won. Well, who who's going to decide that? Where is it going to go? You have a split in Congress. You have mm. a Supreme Court that wants to stay out of things. And so that is where we really could have a breakdown. And you could have this situation in multiple states where Trump is ahead on votes that are not the mail-in variety, but this year you're going to have many more mail-in ballots because, one, people now know they can use it, and, two, you have a lot of senior citizens who don't want to go wait three hours in line yeah. like just happened in that fiasco in Georgia. So yeah. you're going to have a lot more mail-in ballots. Those aren't going to get counted until after Election Day. And you just have a system that is not built for somebody like Donald Trump who doesn't going to honor our constitutional norms. And that's what Biden is worried about. Yeah. Let's uh, move uh, to this uh, ongoing chatter about vice presidential picks. Of course, this past week or so, uh, Kamala Harris's name has come up again. The Biden campaign has been looking at her and, of course, uh, uh, against the backdrop of the most recent Black Lives Matter movement. uh, She is picking up, I would say, steam, at least in the public eye. What's it look like from your position? Well, this is the question. You have kind of three conflicting, uh, or not, not conflicting, but you have three streams going on in who Joe Biden is going to pick. One is he will pick somebody who he is comfortable working with, like he had that great relationship with Barack Obama. So you have his personal relationship and how he sees it working. So that's one issue. The second issue, because of Joe Biden's age, is you need somebody who's ready on day one. This can't be like a Sarah Palin pick that, you know, McCain had. The voters are going to want somebody who's got some experience. And then the third question is, do you need an African-American on that ticket, especially now, to show that we are going to have real change in the U.S. and that somebody with that experience is the person who can be in you know, the, the, the executive branch with, with Joe Biden as president. That's the third thing that is changing right now. And, and the question is, does it have to be an African-American woman? If it is, Kamala Harris has the best chance because of her experience, both in, in statewide elective office and as a senator. But there's a lot of other African-American women. You have the mayor of Atlanta. You have Congresswoman from Orlando. And you have Susan Rice, the former national security advisor, who's got such great experience. So a lot of those candidates have now come to the fore. And then, of course, there's the dream of a lot of Democrats that Joe Biden picks Michelle Obama as well. (laughs) Well, the Obamas have been pretty clear over the past couple of years. They are not 
interested in getting back into politics again. So it would be interesting to see if that uh, actually came back around uh, in a real way or not. Uh, so uh, we'll see about that. Huh? Great. Well, the chatter is serious on it. So yeah. see what happens uh, over the next uh, really month and a half when Joe Biden makes his decision. Interesting. Steve, thanks so much for your uh, time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Glenn. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.